At the same time, you know, Taiwan has been very explicit about a, you know, a rejection of dollar diplomacy, noting that it cannot match, you know, what what China can deliver in many cases, especially as concerns finding financing for infrastructure projects. Taiwan just really doesn't do that. Hello and welcome to the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs, a completely student-run podcast at Johns Hopkins University. I'm your host, Nicole Rebus. Of the 13 countries that currently maintain diplomatic relations with Taiwan, seven of those are in Latin America. This episode explores how Honduras's recent diplomatic split with Taiwan in favor of China affects Taiwan's diplomatic strategy in the region. To discuss Taiwan's relation with Latin America, joining us today is Margaret Myers. Margaret Myers is the director of the Asia and Latin America program at the Inter-American Dialogue. She established the Dialogue's China and Latin America Working Group in 2011 to examine China's growing presence in Latin America and the Caribbean. Myers also developed the China Latin America Finance Database in cooperation with the Global China Initiative at Boston University's Global Development Policy Center. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, it's a pleasure. So to provide our listeners with some context, what is Taiwan's status? Is it a country? And why is its official recognition so controversial? Yeah, I mean, that's a surprisingly difficult question to answer. And I think probably the short answer is it depends on on who you ask, right? Even within Taiwan, there are various interpretations of, of Taiwan's status and how Taiwan ought to represent itself internationally. Certainly, there are a number of countries still that recognize Taiwan diplomatically, um, including in the Latin American and Caribbean regions, where I focus most of my attention. Um, and those countries, you know, presumably view Taiwan as an independent nation um, and, you know, have, have in many cases recognized uh you know, Taiwan's government as the legitimate leader of, of, of China uh, for, for a number of years now, even decades in certain cases. Um, but, you know, China has expressed considerable opposition to this notion of, China, of Taiwan as, a, as an independent state. Um, there have been a number of, of policies uh, and um, consensus, you know, the 1992 consensus, for example, um, which have sought some sort of agreement, even compromise on how to view China and Taiwan um, as as actors and, and, uh, you know, with respect to their status and in governing China as a whole. Um, But, you know, at present, it would seem as though there is more and more resistance in China to the notion um, of of Taiwan as a legitimate uh, representative of of China. And um, certainly in recent speeches, we've seen Xi Jinping conflate the 1992 consensus, which essentially says that uh, you know there are there is one China, um, but that uh, you know both China and Taiwan have a different view of what that may mean and who indeed would be governing uh, China, um, but has conflated that consensus with this notion of one country, two systems, uh, which is sort of what China proposed for Hong Kong, for example, uh, wherein you know it's all part of one country. But that Hong Kong, um, Macau too, right, would be able to operate at, according to different, different governmental systems, different institutional uh, arrangements, um, 
whether that's turned out to be the case in in Hong Kong is you know is certainly up for for debate. Things are changing there very rapidly, um, and indeed that's something that that Taiwan worries deeply about. You know this this notion of one country two systems hasn't played out. I think as Hong Kong had anticipated, um, and they envisioned something very similar happening in Taiwan. If this if this you know particular uh, view of of the relationship were to be adopted wholeheartedly. Right. And so I guess to, to clarify, is the is the current policy sort of an us or them situation? In other words, do do countries have to pick between recognizing China or Taiwan? They do have to pick between recognizing China or Taiwan. Um, and indeed, Taiwan would need a certain uh, sort of degree of represent of of recognition, uh, a certain number of countries recognizing it in order to be viewed within the United Nations as an official country. It has not achieved that. That number is in the one hundreds, right? And it's down to just uh, just a handful of, of of diplomatic supporters at present. Um, right. So yes, it is very much a an us or them situation. Right. And and besides UN recognition, why does Taiwan care about being recognized? Uh, well, this goes back to, you know, <laughs> to many, many years ago following, you know, the Chinese Civil War when uh, the, the Kuomintang, the, also known as the KMT, right, um, where the, the Nationalist Party fled uh, China and headed to the, the island of Taiwan. Um, and established a government there, but has claimed, you know, to various degrees since that it is indeed the rightful government of China, um, which uh, this is a notion, of course, that that the Chinese Communist Party and, and you know, China, mainland China has rejected um, entirely. Okay. And, and I guess now I'm wondering, what what's the nature of Taiwan's relations with countries after they're not recognized? So is it a question of stopping trade or removing diplomats, some combination of both? So it's interesting. I think it really varies on a case-by-case basis. There are some countries with which Taiwan, you know, maintains very strong economic relations, despite not necessarily having a strong diplomatic presence um, or, or any diplomatic recognition in these countries, right? Uh, Brazil is a good example. There's been some really interesting cooperation there, investment in Brazil, but cooperation on things like, um, um, you know, technologies, nanotechnologies, um, you know, all sorts of different uh, components for phones and other things that are being developed in Taiwan and elsewhere. Um, uh, in other cases, you know, when a country cuts ties with Taiwan, we see, you know, quite a reversal of, of you know, many of the initiatives that were underway, including within the economic realm. Uh, so, you know, a sort of a ceasing of certainly development assistance, um, but also, you know, in some cases, um, efforts to, to ensure, you know, rapid repayment of debt. Um, and, you know, it, it, to the extent that there are investments involved, certainly a review of those investments and, and the extent to which they would be uh, able to be carried out under this new, new dynamic. Right. And, and so it seems like there's this gray area where relations or trade can happen despite Taiwan not being officially recognized. And is, is this the case for, for most of the countries that, um, I guess, 
don't recognize it in the region, given that like Latin America is where a lot of its allies are. Uh, I'm certainly there's a I mean a lot of 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 trade and investment and and you know a number of economic offices right that that Taiwan has established in countries across the region not all of them uh, but certainly in those countries where investment and trade makes considerable sense and is part you know is indeed complementary and um, and has been in many cases carried out for for many many years um, the same is true of China you know we see trade, investment, even finance given to countries that happen to recognize Taiwan. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that a little later. But first, um, I want to talk about Honduras. So Honduras recently cut diplomatic ties with Taiwan in favor of China. Um, Why did Honduras do this? My sense is that, you know, so many of these recent decisions, there have been a slew of decisions uh, among Latin American and Caribbean countries really since 2017 to cut ties uh, with Taiwan. And a lot of this um, is based on, you know, economic rationale. There's this view, you know, among those who who make these moves, those governments that make these moves that, uh, you know, that a, a relationship with China will be much more beneficial from an economic perspective, whether that means, you know, uh, an expansion of investment uh, and trade, maybe even a, a trade deal, um, or, you know, even some finance for projects that, you know, these countries have had um, in their, you know, overall list of, of top infrastructure interests, right, for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it really does, um, it really does depend on on the country and, and what what interests there are. Right. And um, I guess, I, I like you said, it really depends on the country. And I don't necessarily want to generalize, but what are the risks with uh, recognizing China or uh, receiving these development and security assistant deals, um, for example, is is the fear um, from countries um, in terms of switching to China, is it more from retaliation of Taiwan or do concerns lie more, again, with the risks associated with agreeing to Chinese development? You know, I don't know that there are too many concerns, frankly. Um, a lot of these countries... I mean, maybe there ought to be, right? But there, but they within the countries that are making these decisions, the concerns I think would be less with respect to retaliation from Taiwan. Perhaps you know some concern about a U.S. reaction, you know, would would deter them to a certain degree. And certainly under the you know the Trump administration, we saw a number of very strongly worded. Uh, you know, essentially threats that, uh, you know, suggested that if these countries made moves to cut ties with Taiwan and establish them with mainland China, that, um, you know, that U.S. assistance, um, especially as concerns migration, right, would be withdrawn, withheld. Um, And so that might be, I think, one of the major factors potentially affecting decision making on this particular matter uh, more so than than others. In other cases, I mean, this is a a sort of cost benefit analysis that they're doing. Um, I'd also say, and this is an important point, you know, a lot of, of, of what China is doing and the extent of Chinese engagement in countries that are that are allied with with Taiwan um, is often directly correlated with developments in Taiwanese politics. 
So when we see, you know, representatives from the Guomindang um, in place, uh, which has been, you know, historically more in favor of a sort of peaceful uh, and non-confrontational cross-strait relationship, um, we tend to see less activity on the part of China, diplomatically speaking, in countries that are allied with Taiwan, given China's interest in sort of preserving a peaceful relationship, or at least previous interest in preserving a peaceful cross-strait relationship. Um, and when we see DPP candidates, um, as we do right now with Tsai Ing-wen in place, and the DPP has historically speaking, um, you know, been more in favor of a view of Taiwan as an independent nation um, and, you know, sort of pushing the envelope as concerns, you know, Taiwan's global role. Um, when that happens, when we see the election of a DPP candidate, we see an absolute surge in activity, diplomatic activity in those countries that are allied with Taiwan and then a corresponding in many cases, you know, cutting of ties with Taiwan. And indeed, this is what we've seen since Tsai Ing-wen's election in 2016. Uh, and then, you know, country after country since 2017, cutting ties with Taiwan until now. Right. And now I kind of want to talk about what the countries that do recognize Taiwan. So other Latin American countries, including Belize, Guatemala, Haiti, Paraguay, some islands in the Caribbean and Pacific regions like St. Lucia, the Marshall Islands, for example, they still recognize Taiwan. And I want to ask why these countries do it. Why have these relationships persisted? And what do countries gain from remaining allied with Taipei? It's, um, I, I mean, in many cases, as, as the number of allies dwindles, right, there is presumably more assistance that Taiwan can give to the, to its remaining allies um, and more attention. And there are many benefits that these countries have de derived from, you know, from Taiwanese assistance, um, especially in, in terms of sort of economic development and technical assistance, but also scholarships, you know, partnerships, sports related and cultural exchanges, all sorts of things are happening on the ground. Um, and Taiwan really is, you know, very involved, including, you know, in the delivery of, of assistance, of aid and in the event of, of natural or other disasters um, on the ground. And we see this happening. And so in many cases, you know, there is a sense that there are benefits to be derived. And, you know, the the benefits that these countries might receive from China are, are undefined. They're unclear. They may be short term and maybe not long term. Um, and so, you know, that's, I think one, one major factor is that there is still a view that, you know, this is a strong and important relationship and one that is of, of benefit. In other cases, for example, in Paraguay, the, the, you know, Colorado party, which has been a sort of, you know, ruling party there for many, many years has a very strong personal relationship with Taiwan and has, you know, an, an affinity for, uh, this this relationship and for partners in Taiwan. And so that has in many cases driven the decision in Paraguay in particular to to stay the course. Um, and so, you know, uh, I would also say, you know, looking now at what's happened in those countries where they have recently established relations with with the PRC, there is a real range of outcomes 
And maybe that's becoming even more readily apparent to governments in the region and those that continue to maintain the uh, diplomatic alliance with with Taiwan. Um, you know, some have received extensive investment um, agreements, wide-ranging agreements. In other cases, there are one or two projects, some of them not even particularly sizable. Uh, and so, you know, uh, how to get the most out of, you know, playing this really critical diplomatic card is a question that all of these countries are probably asking themselves at this juncture, and some may be better prepared to do so than others. Yeah, and, and speaking of, of countries that sort of have this affinity with um, Taiwan, Taiwanese president recently visited some of its closest Central American allies soon after the Honduras split, um, and that was Guatemala and Belize. So why did she visit Guatemala and Belize, and, and was this timing strategic? This was, I mean, this was also part of a, a, a sort of pass-through trip to the to the United States, right? And that's the way that Taiwan frequently justifies any any sort of visit to the U.S. is to to use the U.S. as a sort of layover, <laughs> uh, and then and then you know to then transit from the U.S. to countries that that you know are allied with with Taiwan, um, and there sort of it, we saw an effort to reinforce ties with you know con- these two countries that that you know still maintain these important relations with with Taiwan. Um, so I think, you know, there were a couple of objectives associated with this particular trip. One, some of them being U.S. related, some of them, you know, an effort, again, to underscore the importance of the Taiwan relationship among its remaining allies. And, um, you know, I don't know to what extent Tsai and the delegation achieved that in, you know, in these countries, the, there were no major allocations of, of, you know, of finance or of, of, of capital. Um, but a lot of talk about sort of the nature of the relationship and Taiwan's commitment to, you know, long-term sustainability, um, and to quality investment, uh, achieving of, you know, wide ranging development outcomes, um, so we'll see. I mean, I, it's hard to say at this at this point the extent to which those particular visits, you know, really, really uh, solidified the partnership or not. And you mentioned President Tsai also made a stop in the U.S. before and after this visit. Um, can you just sort of elaborate why she did this and why it's significant? And I'm also wondering how China responded. Uh, well, China responded fairly strongly. Um, there was a degree of, of, of you know, uh, force associated or a display of force associated with this particular visit and some very strong messaging. Um, uh, of course, you know, China opposes any visit by Taiwan to the U.S., given that the U.S. does not recognize Taiwan diplomatically. Um it's a high level, you know, um, high, high leadership visit that is. So, um, this is, you know, it, it was a very, very strong reaction. The, the rationale, I mean, there are a lot of different views on why this trip may have been made at this particular moment. Um, and why to California, for example, and certainly I think part of the decision, uh, was related to, you know, some interest on the part of, of, Kevin McCarthy in, in traveling to Taiwan, just as 
Nancy Pelosi had. So, you know, this was an effort to meet his his interests, to entertain his interests in engaging to, with Taiwan, but to avoid potentially a trip um, to Taiwan, which I think would have provoked a an exceedingly strong reaction from China, which, you know, after the previous d- display during Nancy Pelosi's visit is not something I think that Taiwan is looking to endure at the moment. Yeah. And, and you also mentioned um, the U.S. Uh, does not diplomatically does does not have diplomatic ties with Taiwan, but it still remains one of its most important partners. And I'm wondering, um, does it have a role in preserving Taiwan's diplomatic alliances, especially in the wake of this sort of regional trend where its Latin American um, allies are switching to China? Certainly, the U.S. has has sought to bolster Taiwan's position. You know, I look specifically at the Latin American and Caribbean region, but I, I assume this is being done globally. Um, but, you know, to, to again, underscore the importance of Taiwan as a partner, both economic and development related um, and politically too, um, to help Taiwan to, you know, to deliver when countries have, have asked for more assistance from Taiwan. Um, this was the case in Paraguay, for example, amid the COVID-19 crisis when Paraguay was looking desperately for vaccines and was not able to get vaccines from China precisely because of its diplomatic status. And China made that very clear and in fact suggested you know, very directly that this would be the moment to cut ties with Taiwan in order to, to access Chinese vaccines. And so, you know, sort of left in the lurch, it looked to Taiwan and Taiwan and the U.S. worked together to deliver um, other vaccines to to Paraguay to be able to to address those, you know, very immediate and pressing concerns. Um, I think, you know, Paraguay would have wanted vaccines to arrive faster than perhaps they did, but nevertheless, you know, there were there were some deliveries and, and part of that was related to the relationship and the partnership that we see sort of enduring um, between the U.S. and, and Taiwan. Um, the U.S. has also, I mean, been, as I mentioned during the Trump administration, there were a lot of efforts I think on the ground and then, you know, through very clear messaging to ensure that Central American countries in particular uh, refrain from from cutting ties um, with, you know, with Taiwan and establishing them with the PRC. Yeah. And then I guess I'm wondering, even with this, um, with U.S. backing, with U.S. support, do you see Taiwan significantly changing um, its diplomatic strategy, especially after Honduras? I don't, interestingly. Um, you know, I had expected actually a little bit more uh, from Taiwan during this recent trip uh, to the region by President Tsai. And we didn't see any major announcements or allocations. Um, at the same time, you know, Taiwan has been very explicit about a, you know, a rejection of dollar diplomacy noting that it cannot match, you know, what what China can deliver in many cases, especially as concerns finding financing for infrastructure projects. Taiwan just really doesn't do that. Um, and so I, you know, I think it's looking to compete largely on values-based 
terms um, and on the merit of, you know, what has been in many cases a very long and productive historical relationship. Well, Margaret, thank you so much for such a wide-ranging conversation today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to say thank you to the International Studies Program at Johns Hopkins University and the SNF Agora Institute at Johns Hopkins University for making this episode possible. Remember to follow us on social media at Hopkins POFA on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for the latest and greatest of Hopkins POFA content. Hit follow on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, and leave a rating. We'll see you next time.